Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Since 1936, the National Wildlife Federation has worked with hunters and anglers to pass the most important conservation laws of American history and to protect our sporting traditions. This podcast explores our history, our values, and the work we do to safeguard the fish and wildlife that fuel our passions. We are NWF Outdoors. Hello and welcome to the NWF Outdoors podcast with Aaron Kendall and Bill Cooksey. What's happening today, Aaron? Oh, I'm hanging in there, man. Getting some good snow here in Colorado and just happy to chat. There you go. Um, Sadly, we had a great guest lined up and then had some computer difficulties. And uh, uh, we had Jim Ronquist uh, from Arkansas, Stuttgart, Arkansas and RNTV and to talk about a a new uh, turkey organization, Turkeys for Tomorrow, but then we got sidetracked with some computer issues, and we had to punt for a, a couple of weeks on that. <laughs> like, like usual, there's always some sort of technical thing we got to work through. But, uh, yeah, and we were uh, – I was lucky enough to meet Jim in December when I came out there and saw you. He showed us some uh, some amazing – flocks of at least for us westerners snow geese speckled geese ducks all kinds of stuff Ten thousand birds strong those were pretty awesome yeah the, those huge flocks flocks of snow geese um even those of us who have seen them a million times i mean we'll be in a duck blind and somebody'll say my god look at the geese uh, you you can't help but be taken aback when you see them his spread, Bill, as far as like, you know, we sat there in his shop and he's, I think he's sponsored by Sitka or something. He, he had a nice setup with the boat and some decoys and all kinds of good gear. I mean, is that, is that typical what we were seeing there? I was pretty impressed by it. Well, uh, you have to remember he is uh, a co-host and producer of probably the top waterfowl hunting show on television. Um, so they do have a lot of sponsors and, uh, sponsors want their stuff on television. Um, so, and that's part of the reason you see his stuff really taken care of. I mean, I knew Jim back when he was just a duck guide and his things weren't that, uh, meticulously cared for. Uh, whereas now, you know, he's cognizant of his situation. He takes care of his stuff, but he uses it hard, uh, when I really, I, I've known Jim forever from contests and, and retriever trials. We used to see each other all the way back into the early nineties, but then yeah, the we should tell 2000s. folks he's the, he's the world, he's a world duck calling champion from a certain year. And so you're, you've in that realm. That's, 
you guys probably spent a lot of time together in that world. We, we did. Uh, we traded losses back and forth for years. <laughs> and, then, and then he up and won one. Uh, uh, and he's one of the great callers. He's someone people still emulate. You know, there are a lot of people who have won the world, yet no one really copies them. You know, they're just good callers and they do their thing. And eventually they, you know, they win one, they have a good year. And Jim had a style that was like no one else's and and people are still copying parts of his style even though he won i think now it's been 15 years ago um and, and they're still copying it but uh, uh when i got to know him best was when i was at avery and we sponsored um rntv and all of their videos and all so i spent a lot of time over there getting them product and showing them how everything worked and how we wanted it utilized and, and then learning from them because they would use it in the field and come back and say, Hey, this worked or this didn't. Um, and, and some of that's invaluable. I, mean, I don't think people realize how much can go into it. It's not just a go hunting and, you know, film what you see and, and lay it out there for the television. Yeah. It's always impressive to see how the pros are doing it for us, for us lay people that just kind of throw some guns and stuff in the truck and get after it. It's a, uh, it's pretty, it's a pretty different situation when you see that. Well, it's, I, I, I laugh and tell folks, I, I have done my best to avoid being on waterfowl video because it's not like normal hunting. Um, and, and some people just have a knack and, and they actually end up enjoying it. I mean, just like we know people who love photography, even though they're big hunters, once they start really taking photos, some of them actually end up almost leaving the gun forever and they just use the camera. And I think producing videos for some people is like that. You know, it's its own challenge. And for me, it, it, it never really struck me that way when I was in the middle of it. But for people like Jim, and thankfully, because we all get to see a lot of cool stuff and learn a lot from them. Well, let's hopefully get him back. I mean, he was a fun guy to hang around with when we when we saw him out there and we did some cool stuff that with him, uh, some short films. We're talking about some changes we're seeing across the country on a few different things that we'll just say that and let that be a teaser for when it actually comes uh, up so folks don't get uh, too much of an idea of what it is before we so we don't jump the gun. But let's get him back. And um, we were also going to talk a little bit about just kind of a a waterfowl season roundup and uh right you know maybe we'll still do that a little bit i don't know what did you see towards the end of the season i know the beginning was rough and maybe came yeah, back around uh, a little it, it did for me uh we got water you know in early january and once we got water things improved but you know we're still uh this year there were a lot of things working against especially southern duck hunters but even guys i talked to um, up north and, and out west, uh, we're seeing some of the same issues where we haven't flown a, a count in two years now. So there's a lot of guesswork on how many ducks there really are, how how production was on the prairies the last two years. And we obviously have an aging duck population from breeding being down. I mean, we know it's been a drought on the prairies, breeding's down, but no one knows for sure how far down. But we're seeing older ducks. That makes it harder, especially in the South, because an older duck, he responds to pressure that much quicker than a young duck. So he gets to your area, and within a day or two, if there's a lot of pressure, he's nocturnal, and he learns his way around. And, and that hurt us all over the country this year. And the weather systems, um, 
you know we i talk about that a lot more with hunters than necessarily just calling it climate change because that's such a catch-all as duck hunters we kind of see changing weather patterns within hunting season and that's what we talk about uh, I, they're obviously connected but uh, um, we get to focus very much on a specific season and, and how birds are reacting we had no weather in december in the mississippi flyway and really through most of the the country there was no significant winter weather in december and that's what we need to really move ducks. Um, a lot of people don't realize once you pass the winter solstice and, and just keep Christmas in mind, that's an easy way to remember it. Once you pass that, ducks are predisposed to move north because the first ducks to the breeding grounds, they get to select the best places. Um, they have the best odds of, of bringing off a clutch. So um, ducks are trying to move north. So after that, it takes that much more winter weather like what we have coming right now with this huge winter storm. I think, you know, you just had it hit you and we're going to have it hit us tomorrow. That will probably move some ducks down because it really will cover up everything north of us. But uh, otherwise, we had no new ducks. This is the first year in my life that I shot more pintails than mallards. And normally it's about 10 to 1 mm. at the end of the season. And I have a good pintail place. Most people don't kill that many pintails. This year we, we had more pintails by far than mallards in our part of the world just because mm. they didn't come down uh, in, in big numbers. The ducks that we had the 1st of December in our region are the same ducks that we had the end of January when the season closed. Wow. Yeah, I'm glad you talked about that a little because we, you know, through this podcast and other work of NWF sporting work, we talk about climate change stuff. But, you know, one of the things that I always try to keep illuminating with folks is, you know, climate change can mean it's hotter, it's wetter, it's whatever. It's not necessarily just like, oh, it's warmer. It can be bigger rain events. It could be less rain. It could be a lot of things. And if there's any one thing they they say is that, uh, the variability is going to be larger and the events are going to be more extreme. And we're seeing that uh, for sure. And then the other thing that I always like to say is look, look over time. You got to see the trends. It's not that like, mm -hmm. oh, this winter, we had a wet winter. See, there's no problems. Or, you know, we, we weren't that hot this year. It's what's the last 50 years look like or the last 30 years. And I think the thing that I really that hit home with me when, when we were down there seeing you guys is – that constant repeated theme of man over the last handful of years things are just weirder they're just different the ducks we don't see the same ducks they're coming later and it's not just one time it's not just like one season that's what we saw it's yeah yeah the last handful whatever you know while you know things are just a little odd and that's kind of the main thing you hear more than anything is boy 30 years ago you'd never see the variability. You'd always see certain ducks and you could kind of count on it like clockwork. And now yeah. some years, maybe some years, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, you know, now we get some of the, I call them calendar ducks or photo migrators. And, and those are ducks that somehow are predisposed to fly to certain areas of the country early. And, and we'll get them at Thanksgiving or not at Thanksgiving, but at Halloween, uh, believe it or not in the wet spots, which were not a wet hmm. place normally in uh, October in Tennessee, but that's also when all the, the coast gets so many of their ducks early. Those ducks just fly on down without any major weather driving them, but everything else, all the rest of the ducks, and, and you know, that nature does that 
to ensure species survival. I mean, by having some that migrate early, well, they're out of the major weather events that can actually be a problem for, for duck survival and for ducks being healthy enough to go back and reproduce. But they're subject to more pressure. They're subject to other problems, whereas the late ducks get less hunting pressure, but they're also subject to a lot more weather issues. And and now we have had two, to be fair, two La Nina years in a row, and I'm, I'm sure somebody will point that out to me uh, on comments uh, when they hear us talking about it. And, yeah, that's going to be a warmer and drier year in my region. Yeah, there's um, two. But, but two in a row, and – coming on the back of a year before that was warm and extremely wet, uh, almost the exact opposite. So, yeah, the weather's been squirrely. Um, and some of it, there's nothing we, you know, you get what you get when it comes to weather to drive ducks. Well, I also heard, just as a little aside, because I think it's somewhat entertaining too, when we were there, the report of an alligator in Tennessee I, I would have never thought that. I don't I don't know if that's maybe you guys have heard of that, but I sure haven't. Yeah, the, there's actually been a breeding population of alligators established for I think it's over twenty years now in Shelby County, Tennessee. And that's where Memphis is. So extreme southwestern Tennessee, um, right on the Mississippi state line. But there have been alligators, adults uh breeding there now for about twenty years. And there are quite a few of them now in Tunica County, Mississippi, which is just across the state line from uh, Tennessee, from Memphis. So, but now they're starting to see them show up in some other places as well. And that's uh, just like when I was a kid, okay, armadillos have always been in our, you know, regulations, but I never saw one. And I lived on a farm. I mean, I was outside every day. And I never saw an armadillo until maybe mid to late 80s. And even then, it was extremely rare. Now they're everywhere, just like I never saw a fire ant in Tennessee. I was familiar with them from going on trips to the deep south with my family and all, but we had no fire ants. Well, now we have fire ants and we have armadillos. And now we're getting more alligators and we're getting fewer uh, mallard ducks. And that's kind of scary stuff. Yeah, well, who knows? We'll see how it plays out. We keep we're going to keep telling the stories of of different folks and what they're seeing, and you know, I think we've talked about it a little. But w- what we're really pushing is natural infrastructure, right? And nature based right. solutions. We can do some of the work that you're really involved in down there, Vanishing Paradise, that coastal restoration, Mississippi River Delta and River restoration. I mean, you do that stuff, and whatever it may be. Those big storms come in, you know, that landscape's more resilient, that habitat's more resilient, the fish and wildlife have some place to be, uh, and it helps hunters and anglers. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I think it's hard for anyone to say it's not worth getting behind. Uh, you know, the right. there's a lot of landscapes that need love. And if we give them love, then fish and wildlife often come come right on back. That that's the coolest part of, of what we do um in on so many in so many of these areas what we should be doing anyway for wildlife and what you and I probably both got into this for, which was wildlife. I mean, ducks and fish, that's kind of my thing. And I want more of them. And so I want better habitat all over the country uh, to support more waterfowl. And 
what we ought to be doing anyway is also what will help mitigate so much of the so many of the issues we find with climate change, the storm surge, that sort of thing, um, even sequestering carbon um, or getting our hydrology right in some of these waterways to alleviate flooding. So all of yeah, it will we've help got the Grasslands Act out there. You just mentioned uh, sequestering carbon and, you know, modeled after NACA. And uh, mm-hmm. kind of the same thing, one of the most successful conservation programs. What is it, 30, 30 million acres or something now in NACA? been right. restored by NACA. Mm-hmm. Grasslands, you know, sequester carbon. They're also, what, about 75% of them over the country are, are gone. And so obviously oh, yeah. there's there's Easily. a lot gone. We need we need those to have some love. And they, they hold a lot of our species we love, bobwhite quail, Sage grouse. I mean, a lot of different things we like pursuing. White-tailed deer. Lots of different things. So, you know, it's it's a good time right now. I think we're, you know, like the politics or not, whoever you are, there's there's some real look about doing some of this stuff. And uh, you know, we would be remiss and and really hurting our own selves if we didn't get in on these things and and use our sporting voice to to bring that knowledge to to decision makers right now while they're thinking about this stuff. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we're the ones that we see it firsthand more than anyone. Uh, you know, the, the changes in the animal behavior just because of the weather or the changes in the places that we hunt and fish. Um, we see it every day. And, and sometimes it's hard to face because we don't like change. We don't we try to run from it sometimes. That's our human nature. Um, I've I've kept hunting places even long after I knew the habitat here is no good anymore just because it was the place I hunted. Well, have you been doing anything good outside lately? We, we should at least talk about that. I know you had a sandhill crane, uh, crane tag. Did you get after that yet or no? No. Uh, and, and it's closed. I got to go once and, uh, we saw quite a few sandhills, but that was the day in late January when we got a real, a for real cold front. And I think the temp that morning was 14 degrees with about a 25 mile an hour wind. Hmm. And the way I understand it, and I, I, it's been corroborated by some of my sandhill hunting friends from out West. Is this where you're hedging? Cause you didn't get one. You're starting to tell us all yes. the reasons. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. I figured sandhills <laughs> do not like extreme cold and high winds. Um, who so does? basically, when, when, <laughs> when they left the refuge where normally in, in milder weather, they kind of break up into their groups and they fly different directions. And that makes them much more uh, susceptible to hunting. When they got up, they pretty much got up together, uh, about 8,000 of them, and they flew together. A, they were within a half a mile of us as they went by. So we saw them and heard them, but then they all went down together in another field and there was nothing we could do. That was the only day in the entire season that everyone this guy took didn't shoot at least one crane. Hmm. Yeah. He, he had been batting a hundred percent. So, you know, maybe I'll draw a tag next year and, and get what does that say about end. you then? I mean, geez, he's a hundred percent and you <laughs> hey, show up. <laughs> uh, I can do it. Uh, I have friends that can tell you about a stretch I went through with no duck bands, uh, back in the nineties. And it was so bad. Uh, one friend of mine who has killed a, at least one banded duck every year since 1964, I hunted with him at his duck camp in Arkansas and it was the first year not only he didn't kill one, but the entire camp didn't kill one. 
So I, I was on a band route then. So I can bring some bad luck at times. So maybe Jeez, I have a yeah. bad, uh, maybe I'm bad voodoo <laughs> on Sandhill Cranes. But, you know, we closed up duck season Sunday. And that last week, um, I'm not going to say how many times I, I managed to get out hunting, but it was more than I probably should have. Uh, <laughs> so you found some but, ducks eventually this year. Yeah, yeah, uh, I did. I did. And uh, so there are at least uh, uh, several meals in the freezer that uh, – my family and I'll get to enjoy over the, the course of the year. Good. I didn't get out again for ducks and I still need to learn more from you. You were talking about wily ducks earlier. So when we float the river, right, you shoot at the first group, whatever one doesn't get hit, that sucker goes down. And then all of a sudden he or she is really jumpy, you know, and jumping the rest of them. So like when you first float on them, if you hit them and you get them, then the next group's kind of, you know, not too jumpy. Boy, if one of them gets down there and, and sets up with the next group, and you got to be way more on it when you see the next ones because they're going to uh, jump a lot quicker. Huh, that's interesting. That yeah, is interesting. He tells that, them. Right. He goes in there, hey, he's coming. Watch out. Be, be ready. But, you know, I've, uh, I've watched so many ducks over the years that, you know, that you're watching them out in a spot and nothing happens, but one of them gets scared of something, and when it gets up, they all follow it you know, a lot yeah. of the time. So I, I can understand that happening. I mean, uh, just as I said, with an older duck, they respond to pressure faster. So you're dealing with a duck that was just pressured. He just had a, a hunter encounter. He's probably going to be a little bit more leery. Yeah. And the nature of the river is they fly downstream and then you're coming that way anyway, unless they turn and, and go right over you, which where we were hunting, at least, there's sometimes when you get in some private land spots or whatever that it's just like if you took the shot and you didn't, they didn't drop immediately, you might end up being landing on private land or something. So unless they come right over you, you leave them alone. But uh, gotcha. Yeah, it's it. We're in the throes of winter here, and uh, <laughs> luckily we're finally getting some snow. And it, we had a nice day last week, and my boy and I went up into some uh, unroaded country some south facing stuff and we were looking for elk just curious and not trying to get too close to him we found a really nice bull and and got to watch him from afar for a while didn't move him or nice. anything once we saw him we didn't want to get too close it's winter time even though there was barely any snow on the ground there but uh just a nice day out it was beautiful sunny and we were looking at the mountains across the way and just a good good time to get out and felt good we'd had a little cabin fever so it was good, but uh, more seasons will be coming up soon. Turkeys, turkeys coming. We'll talk to Jim about turkey. Yeah, uh, April, beginning of April ish. So we're only you know not quite two months out from that. Right. I'm looking forward to hitting the. April is one of my favorite fly fishing months here because before the runoff, we get the blue winged olives really start coming off in April in those cloudy days, and uh, that's some of our best dry fly fishing of the whole year where i'm at so. gotcha so before the water before the runoff where everything gets muddy and nasty yeah and, gotcha april through gotcha. just depending on the year you know week or two into may and then the water starts really rocking and peaks sometime usually first or second week of june and then it'll be really good again you know right after runoff goes down that's another really great time to go so we get the Mother's you know, I, Day caddis hatch and if it's not too high then that corresponds it's usually around the beginning of may but that's another one too that you hope it happens before runoff right. comes up too hard because there's, you know, caddis blizzards, which are nice. 
So we're we're coming up. Good stuff. You have me thinking. I haven't I haven't trout fished in several years, and I may have to uh, later this month or early March. I may have to run over to the White River in Arkansas while the shad kills going on and uh, get yeah. my hand back in the game. Well, you know where Colorado is too. Come visit. I came out and saw you. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. I I need to find uh, uh, lots of reasons to get out there and get out there and stay for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, cool. I'm glad we got to just at least chat a little. And, uh, you know, I think a couple of other things too, folks should be keeping an eye on the conservation stuff. Of course, there's, we saw Recovering America's Wildlife Act get a hearing uh, recently in, in Senate and passed through bipartisan support. So hopefully we'll get that through one of these years. Uh, lots of awesome yeah. support from different folks all across the country and agencies. And I know for, for folks who aren't familiar, the statewide action, state wildlife action plans, almost every state has one and it funds those to help all those critters that, you know, that need it. Not, not many right. of them are game species and, and those, you know, they don't have the resources in the same way. So let's get that done. We saw the CWD research and management act, uh, fly through the house 393 to 33, I think on a, on a suspension wow. boat. So that's really huge. We're doing the CWD chronicles. For folks who don't know that, uh, we'll actually put a put a little ad in this in this episode to help people remember where to go. But we uh, we had uh, Representative Ron Kine from Wisconsin on the Chronicles, uh, the sponsor of the bill. So he'll tell folks a little bit about what those uh, what he was aiming for there. Really, other really great guest lineup in there, and always you know multiple things happening in states. We're gonna we're gonna have a guest with the right. Wyoming Natural Resource Trust is gonna come on and tell us about that. Really cool fun set up for habitat projects in Wyoming. We've got some cool stuff with wildlife crossings happening in states and on the federal level. Um, so lots of good hey, stuff and, uh, to be paying attention to. The, the infrastructure bill, we just got $1.1 billion for the Everglades. Um, oh, yeah. Huge one. Yeah. Tell us about that now, a little more. Uh, well, you know, the sad part, it, it, it's a big deal and it's wonderful. Um, but I have to hedge it a little bit because none of it is supposed to go to what we call the EAA reservoir, which is the Everglades agricultural area. And, and that's one of the key components to getting things right down there, to getting the water flows right. So we're going to have to rely on appropriations for that money. Um, it would have been nice to have seen it addressed here. Um, but yeah. no one's going to argue that 1.1 billion won't go a long way towards helping South Florida. And, and as you know, that place, it is a mess. Um, and, and like most of the country all through our doing over the years. Yeah. A good promo for our buddy, Travis Thompson down there, cast and blast Florida. He's one of the best minds on that. He knows more about what's going on in Florida from the sport, sporting perspective and a lot of the impacts and what needs to be done down there. So, you know, we talked yeah. to Travis quite a bit and, uh, we always promote his stuff. So go check that out. Right. If you get a chance, he'll probably be talking about this in the near future. I guarantee you will. Well, awesome, buddy. I'll let you go. Um, but folks just keep an eye on this stuff, man. There's, there's a lot of good stuff happening in conservation. We'll return here in a, in a couple of weeks with uh, a fellow from the Wyoming natural resource trust. And we'll get Jim Ronquist from rich and tone calls and, and turkeys for tomorrow back on one of these days when we can get past uh, some technical difficulties we've had. We tried twice, by the way, want folks to know we didn't yeah. just do a one and done. We tried two different times and 
just couldn't quite get it done. But uh, we will make probably it happen. My fault for, probably my fault for trying to do it immediately after duck season closed. Um, yeah. That guy's probably – I mean, how many days do you think someone like him hunts ducks? Oh, he he started early, you know, traveling up north to hunt to, to get that video. So probably 80 days. Wow. That's impressive. 80 plus. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he maybe he'll just have a little longer to kind of marinate on some good stories for us. <laughs> right. And we'll get that computer situation rectified. <laughs> Well, good. We'll we'll catch up with you here soon again, and uh, we'll we'll let just let folks have a little break from us. They'll get they'll get like an extra half hour or so of their life back, and they'll just get to listen to us wax and not not talk to any of the experts. But uh, check out use this time to check out some some conservation stuff in your state or across the across the country on the federal stuff. There's this state legislative sessions are in session. The ones that are in are all in session right now. The ones that are in this year. So it's a time to get with your local sportsman's organizations and, and check out what's going on and throw your weight behind all the good stuff or or work on some bad stuff. We've been working on against some bad stuff here in Colorado. So there's always uh, there's always plenty to do. So get out there. All right, Bill, I'll let you go, buddy. All right. Good talking to you, Aaron. See you. Another elk and deer test positive for CWD in Idaho. CWD detected for the first time in Alabama. The CWD Research and Management Act sails through passage in the House. There's no doubt CWD is in the news and there's no doubt it's spreading across the country. There's also no doubt it's a complicated disease and a complicated issue. Artemis and NWF Outdoors are here to help. Check out the CWD Chronicles, where we talk to leading experts about the latest science, policy, and hopes for the future regarding chronic wasting disease. Find it on the NWF Outdoors channels or wherever you get your podcasts. For more great content, check out NWF Outdoors social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Connect with us. We want to hear from you. Send us your ideas for podcast guests and questions in the comments. We are NWF Outdoors. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.